Good morning, church. Man, it is great to see all of you. It was so great to hear you proclaiming these deep truths about our King who is alive today. It is such a powerful thing. I don't know if you ever noticed that in our worship guide, we have a liturgy listed each week. And I just wanted to point that out to you. I was just looking at it again today. Some weeks I don't look at it. I'm pretty accustomed to it. But I think it's really sweet that we can see where we are as we worship God. And uh, right now we're at the point in our worship guide that says proclamation. And uh, we're going to look at his word together. We're going to look at Psalm 13 this morning. So if you have your Bible, would you open there with me? If you don't have a Bible with you, we have them in the back corners of the room and in the middle, and then we have them up front. We'd love for you to have one. If you don't have a readable Bible at home, please take this one with you. It's really important that we all have access to the living Word of God throughout our weeks. We're going to try something that we haven't done this summer with the Psalms. We're going to read this out loud together as a whole body, but we're going to do it in a bit of a responsive way. So half the room, so like right here is the middle of the room. So this half of the room over here is going to be reading the odd verses out loud. And as you read them, you're going to be proclaiming these truths and to this side of the room. And as they're reading out loud that odd verse, you'll be able to receive from God and from them and their ministry to you these truths from his word. And then when we get to the even verse, then this side of the room you will read out loud, and then this side of the room you will get to listen. If you're online, read along with the, the odd verses out loud, and then you can hear us reading the even verses to you. And they will be up on the screen so that we're all reading from the same translation. That really helps when you're reading out loud, right? So let's have those up there. I think there'll be two at a time. There's only six verses in this psalm, so this isn't going to take too long. I'm going to, I think I'll read out loud with both sides to keep us on pace and uh, moving forward, but um, let's try this together, church. Okay, so odd verses is this side, right? Even verses over here. Here we go. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. Good work, church. Let's pray. Lord, we believe that your word is precious. We believe that you speak to us as we open up these texts each week. I pray in this moment that you would fill each one of us in this room, each one of us online dispersed throughout the area with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to hear you. We want to learn from what you would have us to learn from Psalm 13 this morning. Lord, before we enter that, we want to pray for those who have entrusted themselves to our prayers. We pray that you would be with them this morning for those who are sick would you bring healing? For those who weep, would you bring comfort? 
For those who work this morning, would you bring strength and an awareness of your presence wherever they are? Lord, would you meet each one of us in all the places we have need? We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I really loved that, hearing your voices read that. As we read Psalm 13, you might have noticed that it's in a bit of a minor key, right? This is not a major key. This is not a um, super joyful expression of praise. It's not an exercise in wishful thinking. It's not an exercise in whitewashing life and making it into something that it is not. It is raw and heartfelt and comes from a place of desperately needing God. It comes from the place of having a broken heart in deep pain and in agony. It's an important example of a category throughout the Bible, but especially in the Psalms, called lament. Lament. It's actually the most prevalent genre of psalm that we have. More psalms are lament psalms than any others. Look at this graphic that I found this week in my Bible software. This lists every single psalm in the Bible according to high-level categories. You can see that those lament psalms, by the way, the size of the circle is just the length of the psalm. That's all that is. But look at how many blue lament psalms there are in comparison to all of the other ones. A few weeks ago, Jay preached through um, confession, and those confession psalms fall under the lament psalms as well. We also have a book in the Bible called Lamentations, which is lament. And we have example after example of people throughout the Bible who call out to God in lament, crying for help. But the word lament and the practice of lament is not one that we often encounter just out and about. It's not a word that we use culturally very often, and it's something that most of us, I'm guessing, in the room are unaccustomed to. Most of us don't have a time in our prayer life where we just lament. And it's interesting and kind of startling, I think, when you see the prevalence of how many psalms God gave us of lament, and then you start to think about our expressions of lament and how those are a little out of balance. God gave us so many psalms because he knew that we would have opportunity and need to lament, to come to him and cry out. Lament can be described as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. In a biblical sense, it's prayer. It's a dialogue with God that expresses deep, raw, heartfelt emotions. It's how we express our sorrow and our pain and our confusion with God. It's how we process with God, experience his presence. Lament always involves us with him. So it's interesting to me that I know, at least for myself growing up in the church for decades, I don't ever remember someone sitting me down and saying, Jeff, this is how you could lament. This is what this could look like when you encounter these moments of sadness and surprise and confusion in your life. So one of my hopes this morning is that everyone will leave with at least a basic outline for what this could look like in our daily rhythms throughout the week especially during those dark times that can catch us off guard. Learning to do this will also not only help each one of us go through those times, but it will help us when those around us go through those dark times. Because even if right this morning you aren't in a moment 
of sadness or despair or darkness. There may be people near you who are and who desperately need you to be able to lament with them the way God designed. Before we get to unpacking a little bit more of what lament looks like and how Psalm 13 is this perfect example of it for us, I want to start by thinking for a minute, how do you typically in your own life respond to difficulty and sadness, pain and suffering? How do you typically respond to that? And then think for a minute, how do you respond to that when someone in your life is going through one of those moments? What is your typical response? I want to begin by talking about these common responses because whatever they are that is not lament is something that currently replaces lament in your life. When we respond to our own dark times and those around us with something besides lament, it's something that is in place of lament. It's because there's a void of lament in our life. The first one that came to my mind from my own experience of myself when I'm going through those times, the first thing that I often do is I respond with avoidance. I don't know if you can relate to that at all. Avoidance, so something bad is happening and I want to avoid it. We do that whenever we try to avoid the challenges and escape them. And when we come to the end of that avoidance, when we can no longer do that, it's just right there, avoidance doesn't work anymore, we try to just ignore that painful thing or that sad thing. When we do that, when we avoid, we spend all of our energies and our willpower on trying to create circumstances that mirror whatever picture it is that we have in our mind of what our promised land looks like. So when we avoid the sorrowful times, we're trying to control circumstances, control outcomes, so that they're not sorrowful, sorrowful at all. And we try to create our own place of safety and security. So another famous psalm, Psalm 23, David's The Lord is My Shepherd Psalm, he says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The thing I want you to notice in that sentence is the word through. Even though I walk through the valley. And now look at, look at the second one here. I changed it, okay? I changed it. So the first one, as it actually is in Psalm 23, says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The second one is an avoidance response. It says, because I walk around the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, this exercise here, this isn't blasphemy, what I did. I know the second one isn't the Bible, but I want to just encourage you. We've talked about this, I think, in past summers when we've gone through the Psalms, Sometimes when you're trying to understand the deeper meaning of a psalm, modifying one or two words to say what you know it does not say can really bring out the full meaning for our lives and how we can apply it. But look at this one. Because I walk around the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. To me, when I read that second one, the very ending, the good news of the verse, for you are with me, really is an add-on. If I can just walk around all the difficult things, all the painful experiences, all the challenges in my life, why do I need that extra promise on the end? The truth is, we walk through them. We don't avoid them. We walk through them, and because 
of that amazing truth, for you are with me, we are okay as we walk through them. It doesn't mean we don't feel them, as we'll talk about in a moment, but we walk through them. We don't avoid them. So that's the first one. A second common and I think very related response that we have to the darker times in life is denial. This one is tempting because there are ways of making denial appear spiritual. This can be something that actually masquerades as faith. This might come out as on the bright side sort of thinking or minimizing language like it's not that bad or I could have it so much worse. Now those things might be true, but if that's our primary response, we're just denying again. We're trying to go around it and not through it with God. Denial attempts to take the difficult times in our life and Photoshop them. You know, Photoshop is software that you can use to modify pictures, to take all the blemishes out and make it look how you really want it to look. Sometimes we do that to our life. We think to ourselves and we talk like we have a Photoshopped life that just has no problems. There's no pain in that life. There's no suffering. There's no sadness. But the problem is, it's also not reality. A Photoshop picture might look really nice, but it doesn't reflect the thing that was photographed. It reflects what we want the thing we photographed to look like. Do you see how dangerous that could be if we start to do that with our experience of sorrows? When we start to Photoshop them, we make them appear as if there's no problem. We create a world that's always okay. It's a fantasy world. And here's the main problem with that. God exists and lives with us in the real world as it really is. He does not exist in any of the fantasy worlds we create in our minds. He's not there. We couldn't say like Psalm 23 said, for you are with me in that place because it's not a real place. It doesn't exist. So not only does it not actually help, it puts us in a position where who we need more than anything isn't there with us. Lament is the antidote to that photoshopped sort of life of denial where all the rough edges are smoothed out. So the last response that I want to talk about this morning, the last common lament replacement that many of us do as a strategy, and I think this one is potentially the most dangerous, is silence. We enter into a time of difficulty and it's just silence. Silence towards other people, silence towards God, we don't avoid, we don't Photoshop it, we just hide it. We just lock it up. And we use all our energy and not letting it out, not letting anyone know about it. And we absolutely do not ask for help from anyone, including God. But when we bottle up pain and we bottle up sadness, not only does it not bring any healing to us, it often intensifies what we're going through and grows our pain into something much more harmful. For example, what began as proper anger at something that was done to you that was not just, that was wrong, could grow and become deep bitterness and a dangerous anger, a harmful anger that ends up consuming you 
and dehumanizing you. Lament is, again, the antidote to this, to a stilled silence that will cause us to actually just shrivel up in the face of difficulty. All three of those responses, avoidance, denial, and silence, are just ways that we work to keep control. They're they're ways that we try to manage things that are beyond our ability to manage. They are ways that we attempt to function as the shepherd instead of the sheep of the shepherd, where we are in control. On the other hand, lament as God designed it is meant to draw us into deeper intimacy and connection with God as we experience the lows in our life. It's a gift from God that enables us to come to him, to express to him our deep pain, our sadness, our fears, the confusion in our life, and whatever it is that just agitates our souls. We bring those to him and lament. Lament is what it sounds like when you trust firmly that God is with you and that he loves you, but that your heart and your circumstances are hard. Lament is this dynamic, this tension between knowing and being confident, the Lord's steadfast love for me never ceases. And I have this horrible pain. That tension between those two things is what lament ends up becoming. That's what breathes lament out in our lives. One example of that is you could say, I believe God, I believe that he is loving. I believe that he promises to take care of me, but if God is so loving, then why is this thing happening in my life? That tension right there that I know many of us have felt, if not most of us, that's where lament comes from. It's the prayer language for God's people who find themselves battling doubt and personal internal pain and circumstances that are beyond their control. It's how we walk with God through it, through those times, rather than around it. There's a great book I want to recommend this morning. I don't often do that, but this one I want you to put on your list. It's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogup. Two copies are in our library, so you might have to race there right after the service to get them, but we do have that one. I highly recommend it. It's a really practical guide to lament, and I will be borrowing from Mark's guide his template for lament as we walk through this psalm this morning because I can't improve on it. It's too simple and too perfect. But one thing that he says, lament can be defined as a loud cry, a howl, or a passionate expression of grief. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It is a path from heartbreak to hope. And I believe from my own experience that that is true. So let's look at Psalm 13. It's going to be our guide to what this could look like in our lives. As we dive in, we're going to see that David has it laid out for us here very simply. This psalm has three parts. Part one, David is complaining. He's exasperated. He's expressing his agitation. Part two, David is asking God for help. Part three, we see David trusting God and resting in who God is for him in that circumstance. Those three sections plus One more that we're going to add to the beginning of a turning to God is our pathway for our own laments. We actually have a slide for this if you're taking notes. This outline for lament. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. The first step is 
turn. For David, this step happened before he penned any words in this psalm. He turned his attention and his focus upon the living God, his shepherd. And with this turning, he connected with God. This is a bit of a pre-step to lament, but if we don't do this, we'll never lament the way God intends us to. It's absolutely vital. When we turn towards God, we're at the place of realizing that this thing that I'm feeling, this thing that I'm walking through right now, is beyond me and I need help desperately from outside of myself to get through it. That's, that's why we end up turning. It means that we're at least beginning to have trust that God could be the one who could help get us through this, that in Jesus is every resource we need for this thing. We require his help. So when we turn to God in this step, he becomes our focus. Our circumstances of pain and trial still matter this, this isn't a turning of avoidance and downplaying, but it's the crucial step because the truth is, no matter what circumstance we are in, God is the most important ingredient in that circumstance. As we walk through that dark valley, the most important part of that promise is that he is with us in the dark valley. If he is not part of that circumstance, the dark valley looks very different and then we better try to go around it because we'll never get through it. So for me... If I don't do this step, I am just having a monologue in my own head. Can you relate to that? So you have this thing going on and you're just churning. You're talking yourself through it and it feels like you're actually trying to solve the problem. That's what it feels like. But unless I get to the place of opening it up to God, I will be working very hard internally but not making any progress at all towards getting through this dark valley. So instead of just monologuing, you've heard me say this a lot, but instead of just monologuing, what's crucial in this, in this moment is to begin dialoguing. To begin dialoguing with God and get outside of our head and interacting with him. That's when we start to make progress, at least heading in the right direction as we turn to God. This is an act of trust. It's an act of expectation of his mercy that will meet us as we turn towards him. And that's what our pain is meant to do. God's good intention as we walk through these trials is that we would grow in deeper intimacy and connection with him. Turning to him is part of what that looks like. Not turning to him might result in our pain and our trials and our sorrows leading to distance from him where we walk the other direction or where we're just silent with him. This turning is so important. He is our loving Father who grieves with us in the middle of the sadness. Once we turn, we're ready for step two. The second step in lament is to complain. How often do you hear that from up front? Complain. We see David do this in verses one and two. They'll be back on the screen here just to refresh your memory. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You see, David, all of his complaints are questions. And they're all, how long, Lord? How long? That is such a common way of expressing complaint throughout the Psalms and throughout the Bible. Another common question that, that people, God's people ask is why? 
why kind of questions. Jesus did this when he was on the cross and he quoted a lament from Psalm 22, verse 1. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, God? Biblical complaint, the way lament has us have it, flows out of God's character and his actions. It flows out of who we know God to be and how God has revealed himself to us. It's a way of saying to God, this seems contrary to who you are, God. Of what I know of you, what I'm going through right now seems like a contradiction between how you've revealed yourself to be. So these questions then are asking God, is that true? Have you actually abandoned me? Have you stopped listening to my prayers? Do you not care that I'm suffering? These questions of complaint draw out these truths of who God is. And you can see that David does this actually in three different categories in this psalm. And these are three categories in our lives, three aspects of our lives that we probably all need to learn how to lament in. The first one he does this in is personal spiritual so his connection with God, complaints about how that's going, how he's experiencing that. The second one is personal internal world, what he feels like inside. He complains to God about that. It's a pretty expansive category. And the last one, he complains about his circumstances. And that one, I think, is the one that most of us have at least a start on because we all have circumstances that we'd rather not have in our lives. So the first one, that David complains about how things are going with him and God. This is his relationship with God, the most important thing in his life, and he knew that. He complains. How long have you hidden your face from me, God? How long will you be inaccessible to me? David was desperate. The one who had been his source of life and guide and protection felt distant. Imagine Jesus on the cross crying out with that Psalm 22 that I quoted. Why have you forsaken me? These questions, again, they don't arise in a vacuum. They're coming out of someone who knows God. They aren't accusations. They're questions. This doesn't seem to be the way you are, God. Will you forget me forever? That question, I think, is one anyone who has gone through a trial of pain will be asking. It's a way of saying, when are you going to intervene, God? When are you going to change this situation? David offers his complaint. He trusts that God is with him, but in this moment, it doesn't feel like he is. So he offers those questions. Then look at verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul? I actually don't, I don't really like how the ESV has translated that. I looked it up in the NIV and it says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Like wrestling with my thoughts for me is a bit more vivid and relatable and have sorrow in my heart all the day. What a description of a mind that is just not at rest. A mind that is feeling a bit of even maybe torment this deep sadness, anxiousness, and pain. And that category for us as human beings is broad, where we might be experiencing that. 
in our life. So I would just say wherever our soul is agitated, wherever we feel that within, we bring that to him. It might sound like this, Lord, how long do I need to struggle with this paralyzing fear? Or something more practical like, why do I have so much trouble sleeping and then wake up in the morning with my mind racing, God? Why does that keep happening to me? Or one other one is, how long will I need to walk through this frustration that I just can't seem to shake, God? These are all examples of our internal world, our thought life, and just needing his help in there, his air in there, his oxygen in there. And then in the second half of verse 2 is where David complains about his enemy. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? For us, I would say that that, we could apply that by saying that's any external circumstance. Could be an actual enemy, but for many of us, it's not an enemy that's causing pain. It's something else, some other circumstance. Why did my car have to break down this week of all weeks? Have you felt that before? How long will it take to heal from this sickness? Will I be able to get this done in time? (laughs) Maybe a little more practical there. Whatever the pain point is in lament, we bring that to God. And before we go on to the next step, I just want to clarify two things about what complaint is, the way I'm describing it this morning. First, our complaints are offered to God in humility. They're offered to him in humility. We don't come to him in pride and accuse him of doing evil to us. He never does evil to us. Ever. We don't come at him with a prideful, unbelieving anger that assumes that we know how things ought to go and God has no idea how they ought to go. We come before him as children before a heavenly father who loves us deeply. I think that's one of the reasons that this is revealed to us in these psalms, all these complaints, they're questions. Because it helps us to remain humble. It helps us to acknowledge to ourselves and to God, I don't know exactly what you're doing in this situation, God. I don't. I feel like I want to know what you're doing, but I don't know. And so that complaint comes off in humility rather than pride. I know exactly what needs to happen right now. God, do this. We just don't. Second, so at first our complaints need to be humble and second, our complaints need to be honest. They need to be real. We bring God our honest complaint, not just our filtered, photoshopped, again, complaints that we think God wants to hear or the complaints that sound really spiritual. He already knows what's making us disturbed in some way, sad or frustrated. And he loves it when we're honest with him about what really is going on. So in humility, we bring our real pain, our real sadness, our real fear to him without prettying them up at all. We bring them to him. The alternative is to not do that. And if we don't bring what is really going on to God and we just hold it in, we open ourselves up again to the pain turning into something much worse, to bitterness, sinful anger, despair, or just deadness of soul because we're not being honest with what's going on 
in our lives. So this second step, complaint, is vitally important, but it's not the whole of what lament is. For that, we need to keep moving forward. The third step is to ask. So we've turned, right? We've complained, and now we're asking. And David does this in verses 3 and 4. He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light out my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. This phase of lament is about specific, bold requests that we make before God in all the areas that we have given him already, that we've complained to him about in question and in statement. We then turn and we ask him, Lord, bring your power to bear upon this circumstance. God, heal me of this thing. Lord, comfort my friend who is in deep sadness. We bring these bold requests. Again, these are informed by his promises. His promises are the fuel to our asking. They give us confidence that we can ask him for what we need as we go through these dark valleys. Here's one of those promises. Psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saved the crushed in spirit. Knowing a promise like that will give us confidence that we can ask him even as we walk through that valley with him. Help me, God. Comfort me. And here's the thing. That's just one example of a promise about who God is to the brokenhearted. Whatever the thing is that we're experiencing in our life, whatever our need is, God has made a promise to us in his word for that need. Do you, do you believe that? Ask yourself, do you believe that God has made a promise to you for every need you will ever have in your life, every pain, sadness, all of it, he has promised you to. He has given you a promise that he will take care of you through it. Ask yourself, I've been asking myself this question, what promise does he need to make to me that he hasn't already made? What does he need to say so that I will believe him that he is with me through this thing? And as I, I've gone through this exercise with myself, I haven't found one yet that isn't in his word. Here's the thing. I don't know all of God's promises in his word. They're not all at my mind's ready all the time, but I can search for them and we can search for them together and we can ask each other, I'm going through this. Do you know where God has promised to be with me in this, in his word? Where does he talk about this situation? And then we can help each other find them. I mean, there's some overarching promises like Philippians 4.19, which says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So every need means everything. There's nothing left out of that. But then his promises get even more specific when it comes to lament. And I think as a church, it's going to be fun to explore and look for those together. One other, one other thing about this asking there may be times when we are going through these seasons where we need to lament and we do not feel like we have the faith to ask God for what it is we need. I have felt that. I don't know if anyone else has felt that. Where you know I need this from God, but my faith to ask him right now is not at a place where I feel like I can do that. 
that's one of the reasons I think it's important for all of us, no matter what season we're in, to know how to lament well. Because when we are with a brother or sister whose faith is struggling as they go through that pain, we then can help them. We can make a bold request on their behalf that God would meet the need even when their faith isn't strong enough to ask for themselves. It's one of the most loving things we could do for each other. We could do this for each other, church. So the final movement now of lament and of David's psalm here is trust. Listen again to verses five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is where David ends his lament, with an abiding trust. He makes the choice that he will trust his God. This is where his lament has led him and it is where he will stop. It's where he will rest in God's provision for him. This is crucial. And if we don't get to this step, I think that we can become in danger in lament of being too self-focused, too absorbed in our own stuff. So when we come to this final step of trust, this is the moment where, as you can see David doing, we're expressing to God who he is, who he has revealed himself to be, and who we want to trust him to be for us. Notice he doesn't just say, I have trusted you, God. He gets very specific about who God is for him. I have trusted in your steadfast love, in who you are for me in this moment, and I will rest in that. This could be a hard step, though, because we may go through turning to God and then offering our complaint and then asking, and our heart might still feel, I'm not done. I don't know if I can rest yet. And I would say if that happens, that's totally normal. This morning, we've walked through this in a very linear fashion, these steps, and that's the way this psalm is laid out. But the truth is, as we lament, it's not going to be linear probably for most of us. We may complain for a while and then ask and then have to start complaining again and offering our pain to God again. And we do that until we're able to then rest in him. And I'm being intentional about this trust step, about using the phrase we choose to trust, because this is more than just a feeling that we have. It's actually a dependence that we are leaning into God for. It's a conscious decision that we are making and only making because his spirit enables us to do it. This is the time we, we often talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves. This is the time in lament where we do that. It's this moment where we need to be reminded of Christ's mercies for us. That he actually defeated death and evil on the cross. And that he will really set all things right. That he really will wipe every tear away from our eyes. These are the things that can come out of us during this trust phase of lament. It's something that we will have to reaffirm again and again to God. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. Church, there are so many in the room right now that I know are in the middle of the dark valley, actually. They're walking through it. 
And if it's not you, it's someone near you. We desperately need this transforming way and healing way of lament prayer in our lives. We need to do this with God one-on-one with him, and we need to be doing this with each other. I look forward to the time when I lament to someone and they join me in my lament. That's such a different response. It's hard when someone offers you something in their life that is painful. It's hard to know how to respond. But I believe David is showing us here how God intends for us to at least head in a direction together reminding each other who God is and going to him together to receive from him what only he can give us in these moments. Because if we don't walk through the dark valley with him, our only hope is to try to go around it and we all know we cannot go around it. These moments are going to be inevitable in our lives. Especially because the world is not as it ought to be yet. There's brokenness in it all of it. And unless we can be reminded that God is sovereign and good and with us and that he will truly wipe every tear away from our eyes, we will end up becoming angry and bitter and despairing. But we need not because there is deep healing in Jesus as we go to him in dialogue. There is deep trust and confidence that we can have in God's steadfast, never giving up love for us that all is well and all will be well in the end. Let's pray, church. Lord, I, we all want to pray for those in the room right now who we know are experiencing what this psalm is describing. Lord, we acknowledge that our vision, our perspective is so much more limited than yours about our circumstances. We need faith, Lord. We need trust. I pray that you would give us trust to walk with you. Would you give us power to offer humble and honest complaints to you, God? And would you help us to rest in confidence that you have heard us, that you're with us, that your promises hold true in our life? And we pray that for all in the room who who may be experiencing that, Lord, and for others in our lives that aren't here this morning. Lord, make us into a people who know how to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.